This morning I want to focus on, on a different dimension of, of uh, uh, Jesus leaving, and that is his return. I like to think about the return of the Lord. And if you're a member of, of this church here, our, actually our faith and practice has a statement that you should be familiar with and embracing. And uh, if we look in the, uh, our statement of faith and the way it's written in our beliefs and practices, number six says that you, this morning, believe in the literal return of our Lord in the bodily resurrection both of the just and of the unjust, in the gathering of his own to himself, bringing judgment upon the wicked, and to consummate all things and establish a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That's what you, if you became a member of this church, that's what you have uh, acknowledged that you embrace, that statement of faith. And uh, do you believe this morning in the literal return of the Lord and the bodily resurrection of the just and the unjust? I don't know how often, I was, as I was meditating on that throughout the week here, I, I was thinking about the return of the Lord. and uh, So I thought about it probably more frequently than I do other times. And I, I'd be interested to know how often you think about the return of the Lord. And uh, I suppose there would be a broad spectrum of, of times, because it varies with me. It varies probably with you. There's times we're focusing on other things. And... Uh, you know, do I think about it rarely? Uh, do I think about it once a year? On Pentecost Sunday, perhaps, when our Lord ascended up into heaven and we think about his return again? Do I think about it once a month? Do I think about it once a week? What about once a day? Uh, well, again, I'm, I'm saying that frequency probably varies uh, with all of us. But uh, I had it raised a question in my mind, does the frequency of... Of the times I think about the return of the Lord, does it matter? Does it make a difference? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. There are three verses here that I believe, as we look at those, those scripture verses here in 1 John 3, it does make a difference how conscious I am of the return of the Lord. I'd like to read those verses. 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now notice particularly verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. I'd like to suggest this morning, and I believe the scriptures are embracing this truth, that as we, as we keep in focus the return of our Lord, it has a purifying effect on our lives, on our attitudes, on our being. We are, in verse 1, it says, we are children of God. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we could be called the sons of God. We are children of God by and through the new birth experience that Jesus so very detailedly explained to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, when he came to him by night and asked him, how can we become a part of your kingdom? And Jesus very clearly told him, he said, you need to be born again. And that's a phrase that is, is still with us today. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a keynote experience of Christianity, being born again through Jesus Christ. We are children of God by the new birth experience. Looking at verse 2, 
Notice we have something to anticipate. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We are the sons of God. It's something we can enjoy. He's our Father. We refer to that relationship. He being caring for us, providing for us. We as His children, we believe He's, he's uh, surrounding us with His protection. And he's, he's concerned as a Father is of our, of our conduct, of our life. But notice what it says, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And it's something, I get an element of anticipation in that thought, that there's going to be a, a, something better taking place in our experience, something different in the future. We shall be like him to a greater dimension. And that should be our ultimate goal and desire in thinking and focusing about the return of the Lord. And again, verse 3, keeping this hope in our mind will impact our lives for the better, preparing us for a better country. You know, it's not a wish or I think, but we can know. It's something that is, it's, I, I like the way I think it was Matthew Henry said, it's, it's unshakable confidence that we can have in God this morning. As we lay claim to that promise, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. It's not something just wishful thinking but it's, it's something that uh, we can anticipate. Well, we need to think about his return. We need to talk about his return as we're doing this morning. I believe we need to uh, believe that he will return. The scriptures talk about those that say all things continue as they were. But yet there is coming a time when the Lord will return. And I remember even as a small boy. Preachers preaching from pulpits and saying that the return of the Lord is intimate. And I believe it is intimate, but we need to recognize that God does not measure time as we measure time. And God's time is always perfect. We need to live like we believe in the return of the Lord. And uh, there was one thing I wanted to mention. I, I thought it fit in with what else is discussing on Wednesday evenings. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Talking about the two kingdom dimension there. How well does the world know us? Well, we talked about some of that in the Sunday school lesson, didn't we? They know us for our good work ethic. They know us for our culinary skills. Uh, but is that all they know about us? They need to know that we're, we've got our sights on something far beyond this world, something beyond this life. And uh, maybe that's where we fall short sometimes. I do. Turn to Acts chapter 1. So this morning we want to focus on the return of the Lord. And Acts chapter 1 has the, uh, the account of our ascent, uh, the ascension of Jesus. Actually, uh, Ascension Day, my wife reminded me, was uh, 10 days before today. It would have been Thursday a week ago. And Acts chapter 1, I'd like to read verses 6 through 14. When they, this is after his resurrection. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from, it, from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner 
as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. And there come in the and when they were come in, they went up into uh, they went up into an upper room where both, both Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Silotus, and Judas, the brother of James. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, his, and with his brethren. So here we have recorded the, the last words to the apostles, or to the disciples, and to his followers. Uh, you know, they ask him, they ask the question, uh, even as, uh, you know, they ask the question, you know, okay, in verse 6, will you now again restore the kingdom to Israel? And again, you know, their focus was so short-sighted, so, uh, so limited. And uh, many times I think that's my problem too. I tend to, to focus on, you know, what has to be dealt with today. And we need to, we need to deal with the things for today, but, you know, we, tend to, we need to realize that, there is tomorrow, and there is eternity beyond tomorrow. And uh, I think that's what Jesus is, is trying to f get the disciples to focus on, that their focus needs to go beyond this kingdom thing here. And I think they were simply looking at the kingdom of Israel as they knew the kingdom of Israel, a, a thing with boundaries, a thing with, uh, with authority and, and positions and power perhaps. And Jesus was trying to get them to focus that it's, it's beyond this. It's something far greater than this. And we see it from a different perspective. We have an advantage, perhaps, that they did not see. We understand to a greater degree that he's, than what the disciples, you know, they had, they had to adjust their thinking to that uh, development of that kingdom. And uh, we can look back at that and see how that all transpired and translated. And, you know, I, I talk, going back again to the Sunday school lesson, you know, some of the changes that the, the Jewish people had to go through. I mean, would have I been any different? Uh, would, could have I, would have I struggled with embracing some of the new truths that Jesus taught? Those are just some of the thoughts that were going through my mind and go through my mind as I, I look at the disciples' question here today to Jesus. You know, after he had so powerfully resurrected from the, from the dead, and now, okay, let's have a kingdom. Let's have an earthly kingdom. And uh, Jesus had something so much greater and better in mind, that of a spiritual kingdom that knows no limits or boundaries. And uh, today we, we want to be builders in that kingdom as well. I thought perhaps maybe they were remembering also, uh, going back to, uh, to Luke chapter 22, knowing how human nature is, I, I have an idea they hung on to this. You know, we remember the things that are important to us. That, that's the truth. We do. Luke chapter 22, looking at verse 27 uh, through 30. Jesus told this here, in, uh, it's recorded by Luke, uh, to the disciples here in Luke 22, breaking into verse 27. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. Now notice particularly verse 29. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me. So there he's telling him, he says, all right, I'm going to give you a kingdom. And he's saying how that I have served. He tells him that this kingdom, you serve in this kingdom. But he says in that uh, I'm going to appoint you a kingdom just as my father has had a kingdom appointed to me. And verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. Now, I imagine that made that perked up their ears. You know, here they are sitting on thrones and judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that sounds like a real, a real, that's what they were after. And uh, at least I think, humanly speaking, uh, 
you know, they would have probably picked up on that. So I don't know, maybe they were remembering that dialogue of Jesus and saying, well, okay, we're, Jesus, where are these thrones at? I, I'm ready to get on. And, uh, you know, but, you know, they forgot the serving part, really, the first part. Jesus there in the first, he talked more about serving in his kingdom than about sitting on the thrones. And like I said, we remember the things we want to remember, and that's human nature. Uh, but uh, I don't know if that's what they were remembering or not, whether they were remembering his promise of thrones or not. But, uh, again, I just had to think of human nature that it very likely they could have been thinking about that as well. Okay, it's about time we, we get our position that we, uh, we deserve. I thought it was interesting also in verse 7. Jesus then goes on to tell them, he says, uh, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons in, in response to their questions. Hey, really, it's not for you to know that. It's not for us to know that, too. The disciples, uh, he said, you know, okay, it wouldn't be beneficial for you to know exactly when I'm coming back again. Or uh, all the details. There, there's details we don't understand how God is going to bring the consummation of his kingdom here. I don't proclaim to understand it all. I don't, and I, I question if anybody uh, says they do understand it all that they do. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't say it that way, but that's the way I, that's my opinion. There's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, speculation, and uh, we need to view it simply as speculation. But uh, we need to stick to the truth of God's Word, and I think that's when we'll be safe uh, when it comes to the return of our Lord. But he said it was not good for them to know, and I don't think it's good for us to know exactly when the Lord is going to return. Well, the Lord has given us some signs. He has not given us the exact date. Matter of fact, when, when man on different occasions has nailed down an exact date, I don't remember what the different dates were. It's, it's happened different times. 88, the year of 88, there was one, I think, that seemingly gained quite a bit of momentum and, 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 uh, and publicity. And, uh, but, you know, almost you can almost bank on it that if, if somebody nails a date down, that it is not probably going to be that date. Uh, again, God is not indebted to any, any deadlines given by man, for sure. Well, God has given us some signs. I'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 24 and look at some of the signs that we can look at. Uh, God has given us things that, uh, and that you know, as we understand, uh, you know, just like the weather. We don't, Minnesota keeps you guessing sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, you know, talk about memories of bike trails. I, we belong the time it snowed down in Lanesboro. Uh, well, it did snow one time on a bike trail, right? And we had our picnic lunch, and it was right after we were finishing up the picnic. Were you along, Dwight? Do you remember that? It goes back further. Yeah, okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, but we do know, generally speaking, okay, spring is coming. You know, the seasons, they vary. And so we can look at that, you know, somewhat as the return of the Lord. You know, there's, there's seed time. There's, there's, there's that growing season, summer, and then there's winter, and then there's harvest or harvest and then winter. And, uh, you know, that's, that's some what we can learn from as we relate to understanding the return of the Lord. I believe God has a time in mind. God has a, a day that he, he knows when he will return, but we do not know that. But he has also given us signs that we can lay claim to and, and embrace that we know that God is still on his throne and overseeing all of the affairs of men. Matthew uh, chapter 24 I want to begin reading at verse um, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of, angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were so, were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what are your Lord doth return. Well, there's a couple of things here that I, I notice. He has given us those, some signs. And some of the signs I want to draw your attention to, it says, as in the days of Noah. Uh, you go back to Genesis chapter 6. Again, that's a familiar account what took place there. God had created the earth, and it was relatively new, way newer than what it is today. And in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the earth, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there we have the, the biblical account of what took place in the days of Noah. And that it says in a very concise way, what we're experiencing today. It says there, uh, uh, He repented the Lord that he had made man from the earth. That's really all we are. We're frail creatures of the dust of the earth. And uh, re regardless of how much we, have, we think we have evolved or have escalated or attained knowledge, and there has been progress. You know, I can't deny that. Uh, God has, in his sovereignty, has left man develop achievements. And science, through science, has, uh, you know, in, in, medical, in the medical field, uh, in agriculture, in, in every dimension. Computerization, technology. I mean, people can, you know, you can do a lot of things uh, that was thought impossible. Um, I was just reading <laughs> recently... Uh, Western Union, the old telegram company, back in 18... Oh, I don't know, when did Alexander Graham Bell invent the telephone? I don't know what the date was, but anyway. The Western Union said, made this statement about the telephone. There's, there's way too many issues regarding the telephone to actually call it communication. <laughs> and they were writing it off. Western Union wrote it off as, as, a, as a failed effort. And, uh, well, how many people telegram today? How many people have cell phones in their pockets? They said there's way too many issues involving the telephone to actually call it, Western Union said, to actually call it communication. And I imagine their perspective, in their uh, field of reference, their frame of reference, why having something written in black and white was about as exact as you could get in communication. And, uh, you know, maybe, that, maybe we should go back to Telegram. <laughs> I don't know. But there's misunderstandings in, in uh, written language, too. Would it be less? Misunderstanding in, in written communication than verbal communication? I don't know. That could be debatable, I guess. Well, that was a side trail. Where was I going? One of the questions I, I had to ask myself as I think about the return of the Lord, you know, the, the last verse there in verse 7, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I ask, ask myself, as I think of our day being similar to the days of Noah, could I put my name, could you put your name in exchange of Noah's? But 
You found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what God's looking for in his people today. People that were and are like Noah, that we can find, he can find grace in our lives. And I, I thought that was a real inspiration to think that, that God finds grace in his people. I don't know if you remember the post-it sermons or not, or the post-it inspirations that I had hanging on the board from the communion sermon. Someone, I don't, I don't know who you are, you know who you are. Someone said, I don't know, I don't have it with me, they, they, they penned their inspiration and said they want to be a more gracious person. And I thought of that as I read that verse, that, you know, that's, that's a good aspiration, to be more gracious. We ought to be more gracious uh, as we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is gracious. We grow in his likeness. We ought to be more gracious. Is that what's, is that what's happening in my experience? Well, in verse 5 there in Genesis, we see they were sold out to self and Satan. Um, Self and Satan, every thought and imagination was only evil continuously. And to think, what's we're very, very close to that today. On our recent flight the other week, we flew back to Philadelphia, and I don't remember which way it was. I think we were coming home. Plane seats were three across, and there was a young gentleman sitting at the window. And we were sitting there, he had headphones on, and after that he pulled them off, and I saw he was looking over at us, and uh, he was at the end, and Miles and I were next to him. He said, I know you're not Amish, but he said, what are you? And uh, I said, well, we're, we're Mennonites. And I, I didn't dwell on the Mennonite term long. I said, we're Christians. You know, we, we read the Bible. We believe the Bible. Try to practice it. I said, are you familiar with the Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm familiar with the Bible. He said, uh, matter of fact, he said, uh, my mom, um, he didn't say what de- denomination he was, but he said, my mom, he basically said his mom was a Bible-believing Christian. And, but he said, I, I don't embrace that anymore. I don't know how old he would have been. I guess he was a college-age student, perhaps. But he said, he said, I'm more into science now. He said, uh, I, I, I'm embracing evolution, I think was one of the thoughts he said. And uh, he used the expression of the science and self, I think, was two things he used. And I, we didn't talk real long. He soon put his headset back on again. And he said, I have friends in Lancaster. He said, I know the Amish. But he said, uh, he wasn't sure exactly whether we, where we fit in that. But he knew we were an Amish. But uh, I told him, I said, well, you need to keep reading the Bible. I said, you know, I, I believe there's some answers there for you. And, uh, and uh, well, then our, our ways parted uh, up in Minneapolis. I think he was coming to Minneapolis to visit friends, if I remember correctly. But uh, I, I, I felt sad for the man to, uh, you, know, you, you know, there he's made some decisions. He, his, he's, I, I'm thinking he made the expression. He said, my mom doesn't know what I'm embracing and, and what I'm following. And he said she'd be devastated to the if, if she knew. And... Uh, Going back to our, our text here in Matthew that we're looking at. So, as in the days of Noah, okay? I didn't live during the days of Noah, but we do have it recorded in the Scripture, very clearly, black and white, what it was like. And we see what our day and age are like, as in the days of Noah. Well, the second thing is, notice it says, uses uh, deception. That goes back to chapter, or earlier in chapter 24, uh, verses 3. Jesus teaching them uh, in verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Deception is a mark that we can uh, look for. 
People that are deceived by embracing. We were talking about false teachers in our Sunday school lesson this morning. The Judaizers who were saying you got to perform certain legal ritual rites. And uh, deception is abounding everywhere today. Take heed that no man deceive you. Let's just continue on here. Uh, and I'll, as I read through here, I'll pick out the different signs that, as I read through here. Picking up again at, at verse uh, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars. There's the next one. Uh, international conflict. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. You know, has there ever been a time when there has, there has been so much international conflict? Uh, I know World War II. Um, I was reading in Doctrines of the Bible this week, and... Uh, there was a thought given about the experiences of World War II, and that was before my time. I'm, I'm old, but I'm not quite that old. But, uh, you know, and I think people thought, you know, that was the ultimate war. And I, as far as mortality, that was probably the worst war, I think, of a loss of human life, I think, of ever, if I'm right. Anybody document that? Is that correct? I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking I read that, that the, uh, of all the wars, World War II was the worst as far as mortality. But uh, no one's going to step out on a limb on that one, I guess. But, uh, for nation shall, verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. There's uh, another one. Famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Unusual national, na unusual natural events. Uh, mansions, famines, pestilence, and earthquake, uh, etc. You know, it seems... Uh, invariably, the, you, the news is filled with those, those, that type of natural events that is uh, taking place in nature, uh, particularly the earthquakes and maybe the famines too. We don't maybe hear as much about the famines, but the earthquakes seems like there's an overabundance of earthquakes. And um, there was an article too. I, I, uh, they were saying whether fracking, the drilling for the oil, is that is that enhancing the earthquake? You know, and that's man looking for causes. Well, I like to give credit to the Lord for that. I don't know exactly what's causing what, but I do know I think we're leading up to the end times. Continuing on here. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall, and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. We see another one there, and that's the... Uh, the uh, Hate replaces love. Uh, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, again it mentions. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Again, verse 12 and, uh, and uh, verse 10 tying together, it talks about the, the loss of love between mankind. And uh, I don't know, the one thing that entered my mind as I read those verses, you know, I, I thought of, you know, the... the, the, uh, the uh, um, how how cheap life is in some people's you know it, it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't take much to raise people's air I think uh, well Alice mentioned Wednesday evening about uh, you know the, the traffic and you know how it can uh, can upset people and uh, or people cut people off and you know road rage is is, is becoming a prevalent crime today and uh, people are very very easily upset. See, keep reading here at uh, verse 14 or 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. 
And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. There's another one. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So once the gospel has been preached to all the nations, Jesus told his disciples, he said, then shall the end come. So the gospel preached to all the nations. Are we, uh, are we anticipating that? Are we helping that cause as we think of mission endeavor, of reaching out to spread the gospel? Do you think about that as enhancing and readying the world for our Lord's return? I think I'll stop reading there at this time, but uh, you know those are some signs that Jesus gave his disciples. You know, as in the days of Noah, uh, the idea of deception, uh, international conflict, uh, an overabundance of unusual natural uh, disasters and events, uh, false prophets, uh, hate replacing love, and the gospel then being spread to the uh, to the world. Well, what? How does this impact my life? Okay, so I, I read these scriptures. And Jesus talking to his disciples. And I say that I affirm and I believe uh, our faith and practice that the Lord is going to come back. Uh, I'd like to suggest we need to live in, in awareness of his return. And Jesus actually continues right on in Matthew with some truth that can help us to live in uh, awareness of his return. And he gives us a couple of parables here in, in Matthew chapter 25. We have the, these parables are familiar. It's the parable of the ten virgins and also the uh, parable of the talents. And uh, we, I'm going to read through uh, these parables uh, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Remember, Jesus is telling his disciples this after their question about how this is all going to transpire. Then Jesus told them these signs, and then he goes on to liken this, the kingdom of God to what's taking place here in chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. The second parable. Who called his servants and delivered unto them his goods. That's you and me this morning. Jesus has delivered unto us his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to every man according to his servability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. 
He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hit that talent in the earth. And lo, thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I hast not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and gave, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto, the, unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And behold, him shall be, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Second in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall, the, then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, and a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Well, living in the awareness of, of our Lord's return, I think those parables should help us to zero in. We have the parable of the ten, ten virgins, rather, and the, uh, you know, the oil needed to be replenished. We need to have our oil replenished. Uh, we have a personal responsibility. Those ten virgins could not borrow from each other. Uh, they had to have a personal responsibility of having, keeping that lamp burning. How frequently do I fill my lamp? Will one day a week be enough? Sunday? Is that enough to keep my lamp burning? Uh, one commentator said they likely had to add oil every 15 minutes. They said this was not a little clay pot. We've seen a, I've seen some artists rendering of this. It was not a little clay pot with a little uh, tip on the end where the flame came out. They said typically at a wedding they would have had to use the larger, it was night, and it would have light, they would have used the larger burning uh, utensil. And he said it probably took oil, in his calculations, took oil perhaps every 15 minutes. Well, I don't know about that. It was his thoughts. Uh, you know, sometimes we get some preconceived ideas by looking at artwork and we think, well, this is this little lamp. We see the drawings of the virgins carrying their little lamps. But uh, anyway, the oil needs to be replenished. The oil in our lives to keep our spiritual fire burning needs to be replenished. And it needs to be replenished daily. 
and I cannot necessarily borrow from you. We can maybe encourage each other. Uh, these other wise virgins did that. They said, well, you know, you really need to get take care of that. Well, they failed to deal with it properly, and they were, of course, caught unprepared. You know, they both slumbered and slept. I thought that was interesting. They both slumbered and slept. And it doesn't seem like the bridegroom had a problem with that. or That, would you, that really wasn't the issue. But it was the fact that some were prepared and some were not prepared. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Careless, uh, carelessness of letting their lamps go out. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where the problem came in. We hear that expression many times. You know, what difference does it make? And, uh, well, in this case, it made a difference of... of getting into the marriage supper or not. And it made a difference of eternity. He tells us there in verse 13, he tells us, he says, We need to watch, therefore, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour. And that's, that's a challenge to us. We need to watch. We need to be ready. Looking at the parable of the talents just briefly, uh, where did the talents come from? They came from God. He's our master. He has entrusted us with those talents. Uh, that talents... Uh, knowing where they came from spells accountability. We all have a personal accountability to God. Uh, why did he give them? He gave them for, a for a, just a specific period of time, and that spells opportunity. I don't know what opportunities you have, what opportunities I have, but uh, there's, a, there's a limited period of opportunity that we have to use them talents for the glory of God. And uh, he gave them at different levels of responsibility. There was five, there was two, there was one. But uh, notice the two were fruitful, the, the five was fruitful, the two were fruitful. But the one that had the one was not and uh, suffered the, uh, the consequences and the, uh, the uh, cursing of the Lord. And uh, well, looking at the purpose of his coming, we look at uh, verses 31. I read those verses. It says he will be enthroned on the seat of judgment. We see the separation, the, the purpose of his coming today. We are growing as the wheat and the tares in the field together. But there's coming a time of separation when God in his return will separate the wheat from the tares. And, uh, well, what did those that qualify to enter God's kingdom, what qualified those as we look at verses 31 through 46? Well, it's those that... Uh, that uh, it's interesting that it was, it was basically natural things that they shared. They clothed, they fed, they gave, they gave drinks, and they did it without thought of retribution. They, they just did it naturally. Uh, natural things. I thought that was kind of impressive. We sometimes think of, of uh, preaching a powerful sermon and bringing people to repentance, but, you know, it really doesn't say that. It just said that the, uh, they shared with them the natural things in life. And... Uh, to me, that tells me that there's a there's an element of love in that in that relationship and a concern for them. The others, of course, missed that opportunity. The other uh, those that did not, they said they made actually somewhat had the same response, but the one followed through in obedience while the other did not. But they all had the same response, and uh, you know the sad words those that did not utilize the opportunities that came their way have to be some of the saddest in the scripture when Jesus said, depart from me. And uh, I had asked myself a question, why didn't they see those in need around him? Well, we sometimes talk about the, the Great Commission, but we also talk about the sin of omission. And maybe the sin of omission is one where we get caught on so many times, the lost opportunities that, uh, that uh, we let slip through our fingers.
In conclusion, I'd like to challenge us, endure till the end. I'd like to suggest that we begin serving others even in little things in life. We need to keep our lamps filled with oil, our lives filled with the oil of the Word of God. They need to be trimmed and burning. I had to think, you know, how will people remember us? You know, we, we looked at the last words of Jesus, and uh, I came across some articles here that I thought were rather interesting. A man's final utterances reflect the life that he lived. And the, tr- the question that is raised, it says, what will your last words be? Uh, is there something innately a part of our human nature that causes us to want to collect things? There are all kinds of interesting collections today that people collect. And uh, as it goes on to talk about famous last sayings, and, uh, you know, we remember the last words of people, and as they pass from the scene of time, and then their, their goods are dispersed. And it talks about the, the collections that people collect. Uh, Max Licardo talks about collecting baggage. Uh, in, the, in his book titled uh, Traveling Lightly. Traveling Light? That Traveling Light, maybe that's the title of his book. Uh, he talks about how much luggage we pick up and tend to pick up on our journey through life and unnecessary luggage many times. And uh, he likened it to, to traveling literally, you know, the, the suitcases that we carry along. But he says, unfortunately, there's, there's, there's a lot of mental and spiritual baggage that we carry along that we need to, uh, you know... Uh, Turn over to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus' last words on the cross, uh, we looked at his last words before he left the world here. We looked at them there in Acts. But before that, as he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And there's no greater last words to be said than that. It was finished. The plan of salvation, the plan of salvation was complete. It was finished. There is redemption brought for mankind. A few famous last words that people have uttered. John Knox uttered these piercing words and then died. Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. Before dying of a heart attack, Italio Seville, a Jewish novelist, told a nurse who was trying to administer last rites, when you haven't prayed all your life, it's no use at the last moment. Billy Graham notes that when the great St. Joseph Everett was dying, he said, glory, 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 and continued exclaiming glory for over 25 minutes until he was whisked away by the angels to the gates of heaven. Edgar Allan Poe, who was said to have lived at best an erratic life of life, lies in drunkenness. He died in 1849 at the age of 40, having been found in the street. And he uttered the words, Lord, help my poor soul. Am I living in awareness of the Lord's return? We don't know the times and the seasons, but our Lord does. In conclusion, I want to turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 13. As an inspiration. Actually, I'm going to back up and begin reading at, uh, we were talking about grace here earlier. I want to read verse, break into verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that dying, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should, excuse me, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. In verse 13 is what I want to really uh, pick out there. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Our anticipation of the return of the Lord, I believe, has uh, is tied to our level of commitment here in the war in a, to, to Christ here in the world today. There's uh, someone has said there's three dimensions of grace here in these verses. Uh, there's saving grace in verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's saving grace. And then verse 12 talks about living grace, uh, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should, uh, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's living grace in this day and age. And then there's dying grace. It says looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. That's the grace that we want to embrace, dying grace, uh, that will see us through the uncertainty of passing through the valley of the shadow of death, as the psalmist mentions it in verse 23. Uh, the return of the Lord, when will it be? I can't tell you. The Bible doesn't tell us, but God knows when it will be. And our important, the thing we want to focus on is being ready when he returns. And again, that's a challenge for us. Uh, we can get distracted. We can get um, uh, preoccupied with living and responsibilities of living. But we need to keep that in focus that the Lord is indeed returning. 